everyone, and welcome back to Sports Talk with D-Crime. I'm your host, David Cromwell. And at this minute, NFL teams are preparing for the third and final phase of OTAs, which will give them their first good look at their respective rookie classes. Thus, we here at Sports Crunch with D-Crowd continue our division-by-division breakdown of every club's 2017 draft class tonight with the AFC South. Joining us to analyze the drafts of the Jaguars, Titans, Colts, and Texans is our good friend Jake Arthur of ProFootballSpot.com. Welcome back, Jake. It's always a pleasure having you here. How are you doing? Yeah, what's up, buddy? I'm glad to have, uh, glad you guys have me back. It's always a pleasure having a guy like you who is in the know about uh, all things, whether inside information or these uh, draft prospects inside and out. Uh, uh, you're one of the best guys for it, Jake, and it's always a pleasure having your insight and knowledge on this program. And now let's begin with the draft class of the Jacksonville Jaguars. And for the second straight season, a running back was drafted with the fourth overall pick. The Cowboys did it with Ezekiel Elliott last year. And this year, the Jaguars did it with Leonard Fournette, running back from LSU. And if you look at the Jaguars roster, uh, their defense looks world class, at least on paper. They they were a top six unit last year, and I think they could be even better. Look at all three levels of their defense. Malik Jackson, Calais Campbell, Dante Fowler Jr., Yannick Ngakwe. Uh, in that front linebackers, you got uh, Miles Jack and uh, Paul Pozluzny. And look at that secondary pick up Barry Church in free agency. And you also had pick up AJ Boyd in free agency to go along with Jalen Ramsey, who played as good as any rookie on defense last year, aside from uh, Joey Bosa. Like if Bosa hadn't had the season he had, he uh, uh, Jalen Ramsey seriously could have been defensive rookie of the year. And uh, if you look at that defense, uh, that defense is going to keep them competitive every single Sunday. They just need somebody on offense to take the pressure off of Blake Bortles and to for, for the offense to be more efficient and productive, and Fournette could very well be that guy. What kind of season do the Jaguars need out of Fournette in order to contend for the playoffs in 2017? Does he need to be as good or better than Ezekiel Elliott was last year? Um, what is uh, your take on that? Uh, yeah, I, I definitely think that Fournette coming on board helps Bortles because he's not a guy that's going to lead the team by himself to any sort of big success. Uh, you you've, you can still consider Bortles a, a young quarterback who's still developing. So look at how much the running game helped a guy like Dak Prescott last year. You know uh, That also comes along with an elite offensive line, but Jacksonville is trying to build their own pretty good offensive line. Uh, I definitely think Fournette could be a, a comparable type of impact as Ezekiel Elliott was last year. Kind of similar players, both kind of big, broad guys with breakaway speed, physicality. They can both catch. Uh, Elliott's a much better uh, pass blocker than many running backs in the league, but it, it's it's not a big negative for Fournette. Uh, it, it definitely allows Bortles to have a consistent check down option, someone who can just grab the ball and and get 10 yards with it. But then it also gives him a, an actual steady running presence, which they haven't had with TJ Eldon and Chris Ivory. The the two of them can combine for a decent running game, but neither is a true bell cow that Jacksonville needs. And, you know, they, they've never really had that for Bortles. I mean, they tried to have Toby Gerhardt be that guy before, and that just didn't go well at all. It it most certainly didn't. And uh, so uh, you think Fournette uh, needs as good or better of a season than Ezekiel Elliott did last year in order for Jacksonville to contend for the playoffs again? 
Uh, I don't think he has to have that good of a season. Um, I think Bortles still is more important to that offense than Fournette will be. Because uh, Bortles can just, it, kind of the story of his whole career, He he's a slow starter. He might put a little magic together in the fourth quarter, but he's also very turnover prone. He He's essentially a, a better passing version of a younger Mark Sanchez, if that makes sense. So Bortles still has to perform well. I mean, Fournette can run for 1,200, 1,300 yards if he wants, but if Bortles doesn't show up and do his job, then Jacksonville still won't be able to put wins together. That is a very fair point, and they not only helped Blake Bortles in round one, they also helped Blake Bortles in round two by selecting Alabama offensive tackle Cam Robinson. And uh, the Jaguars... Uh, uh, and I think a lot hinges on the offensive line just as much as it hinges on Bortles and uh, Fournette, to be honest. And uh, they did trade Julius Thomas away to Miami to get Brandon Albert, although Brandon Albert is old on the decline, and he is holding out to get his uh, salary this year fully guaranteed. And he only has one more year left on his uh, current contract. And uh, Cam Robinson uh, was good value for Jacksonville because he fits the mold of the kind of players Tom Coughlin wants in the trenches. The Jaguars want to be a run-first, defensive-oriented team. Uh, and Cam Robinson was arguably the best uh, run blocker in this draft. And But the big question on him was, what, what what's his fit at the next level? He did play left tackle at Alabama. And I heard some uh, offensive line gurus, like uh, Brandon Thorne, for example, say that, oh, absolutely Cam Robinson could be a left tackle at the NFL. But a lot of people on the inside of the NFL saying, nope, this guy is more of a right tackle or a guard like uh, Eric Flowers, Orlando Franklin, those kind of players. Uh, so in your opinion, can Cam Robinson be the Jaguars left tackle of the future or do you see him uh, more as on the right side or on the inside of guard? Oh, I, I think – for the earlier portion of his career, he'll probably be a guard, um, kind of just depending on what happens with Brandon Albert. But that's not to say he can't be a left tackle, because I think he absolutely can. Uh, I think he's got the speed, quickness, and strength to be able to to hang with guys. And I don't really understand why it's been such a deal that he can't be a left tackle. I mean, people said the same thing about Taylor Decker from Ohio State last year. And to me, Cam Robinson is a much better athletic specimen and prospect than Decker was. And Decker has been pretty good as a left tackle for the Lions. So I definitely think Robinson could do the same, if not a little better. Uh, but between uh, Brandon Albert, if he comes back and everything is fine with him, uh, Jeremy Parnell, Cam Robinson, and Brandon Linder, the Jaguars could actually have a pretty decent offensive line. And that is exactly what Leonard Fournette and Blake Bortles will need uh, this season. And uh, now moving on to that young team on the rise, I'm talking about the Tennessee Titans and they had, because of the trade that uh, netted the Rams, the first overall pick last year, uh, they had two picks to spare the first round. And with their first of those two picks at number five overall, they selected wide receiver Corey Davis from Western Michigan, native Chicago, and also graduate of Wheaton Warrenville South High School. And I have had, forgive me, I just live in Chicago. I just take pride that a Chicago native was picked in the top five of the NFL draft. And this pick was panned by some in the media, notably Michael Lombardi, but I disagree. The argument was made that Davis was the best wide receiver in this class, and he could be exactly what Marcus Mariota needs to ignite that passing game 
uh, down in Music City. And do you think uh, Corey Davis is the right fit in this run first offense that the Titans run? And can Corey Davis make an impact on day one? Yeah, I, I absolutely think so. As long as his injury checks out just fine and he's ready for training camp and all that good stuff and has the proper time to acclimate to the offense, I think that's exactly what they need. Um, Tennessee's been one of those teams that has tried to kind of pan gold and, and find that top receiver with maybe an earlier or mid-round pick, uh, but they finally just went ahead and got rich with it and spent a, a really high pick on a receiver. I think Corey Davis is true number one receiver material. He's big, fast, physical, can run great after the catch, has really good hands, good route runner. He will be definitely their guy, uh, and I think he will have an immediate impact for them. I mean, it just hasn't panned out well for them in true number one receiver style, whether that was Drew Bennett or Kenny Britt. You know, they, they finally got their guy. They just need to make sure that they do right by him. I completely agree, Jake. And another trait of Davis that some observers noted, uh, specifically Matt Miller Bleach Report, was his blocking ability. And since the Titans obviously run a run-first offense, uh, that could really come in handy. Don't you agree with that assessment? Oh, absolutely. Um, he's. I did actually note that when I was watching him before the draft. He's not going to really drive drive his guy back, but he definitely occupies his assignment long enough for his running backs to be able to get around and, and through to the next level. So I definitely think his blocking will mesh really well with an offense like Tennessee's that really wants to get DeMarco Murray and uh, Derrick Henry the ball out. And the two of them can, can kind of break open big plays on the outside. So uh, it will be a great plus for them to have a blocking wide receiver like Davis. Absolutely. And he could uh, play a similar role that Larry Fitzgerald has played uh, uh, for the past several years in Arizona at helping uh, David Johnson uh, run to daylight. And uh, with the Titans second pick of the first round, they needed secondary help very badly. So they drafted quarterback Adoree Jackson out of USC at 18 overall, and Jackson was arguably the most athletic prospect athletic prospect of this year's draft class, and you could consider his ceiling to be like Devin Hester only with starting cornerback traits, and Devin Hester didn't have any starting quarterback traits, and they will obviously use him in the return game just as much as on defense to start, but some also recommended that the Titans should actually have a package of plays for him on offense. And I personally think you could utilize him in space rod gadget plays that fit the Titans' exotic smash mouth scheme perfectly. And back to that term, exotic smash mouth, for a minute. Uh, that, uh, that's the style of offense that head coach Mike Malarkey said he wanted to run. And last year, they got the ingredients for the smash mouth part. And this year, they potentially could have found the exotic ingredients, too. Do you think they should feature uh, Adoree Jackson in some packages on offense? Uh, I... I think only if he is shown to be able to handle it and he's already got a grasp on his role on defense. Um, in the return game, that is probably pretty simple for him, but I would think that they would want him to have a firm grasp mentally on what he's supposed to be doing for them on defense before they expose him to anything on offense. Uh, you know, some of these really athletic cornerbacks we've had in the league, like Patrick Peterson, Deion Sanders, guys like that who did have returnability and Devin Hester, they didn't really start playing on offense um, until they were already kind of entrenched in their defense. So I, I think it'd be wise for them because he's also not a ready-made corner. He's still pretty raw and has plenty of kinks to work out on defense. So 
once they develop him into a good cornerback, I think that is when they could maybe feature him in some offensive packages because they don't want to overwhelm the guy. Uh, so it might be safer to wait until he's ready. That makes perfect sense. Uh, keep his uh, responsibilities low for rookie and add as his development goes on. And continuing with the tights for a moment, I personally was a huge fan of what they did in the third round. They didn't have any second round picks last year due to the trade they did with the Browns in round one last year to land uh, Jack Conklin. And and they tripled down on offensive weapons in the third round, adding to Corey Davis by selecting Western Kentucky wide receiver Taywad Taylor. And one of your favorites, who you uh, raved about on our uh, tight ends wide receivers draft preview, uh, Janu Smith, tight end from Florida International, who has been compared to somebody named Delaney Walker. And uh, thus, uh, Delaney Walker obviously being the Titans' main go-to guy on offense. Uh, Smith is in the perfect place to learn and uh, achieve his uh, potential. What do each of those guys bring to this uh, Titans offense? Yeah, after going out and getting their number one guy in Corey Davis, I, I really do think those were a couple of savvy pickups in Taiwan Taylor and Johnny Smith. Uh, between those guys, when you factor in Tajay Sharp and, and Trey McBride as well, that really gives Mariota a nice young receiving core to develop with. Um, plus, they've, they've got a couple veteran guys like Rashard Matthews and Harry Douglas that can kind of show those guys the ropes. Uh, so I, I really like how that dynamic plays out in the receiving uh, core for them. At tight end, I, I do really like the addition of Jonu Smith because of him comparing so much to Delaney Walker. Um, you know, they're both kind of broad guys, but they're speedy and can make plays after the catch. Um, Smith isn't known for his blocking, but in a tight end class, in this draft class this year, that was just full of... Um, basically stretch tight ends guys that don't play in line very much he is capable of playing in line and getting some blocking in so I think that was a smart move by them to get a more well-balanced tight end uh, to help out on uh, running plays which you know they are still primarily a running team so I thought that was a really smart move uh, I especially like the timing of them taking uh, John o. Smith because Delaney Walker still definitely got a few years ahead of him and it kind of takes tight ends some time to develop and become reliable players in offenses. So by the time that they're ready to move on from Delaney Walker, Johnny Smith, as long as he does his part and develops well, should be able to take the reins. So I, I like quite a bit about those pickups. Uh, same here. And another thing that I believe Taewon Taylor brings to that offense that uh, the other wide receivers uh, arguably do not bring as much, including Corey Davis, is he's that home run threat that they have lacked for years. He's th that guy where you could just get him the ball in space uh, on just like a five-yard bubble screen and he could take that to the house. Uh, yeah. Do you share that view? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I thought he, in college, he was obviously the focal point of that offense. They ran a lot of, of plays to get him the ball out in space, but to also keep him in motion after making the catch so that he could make plays after the catch, which he's obviously able to do. So uh, with an offense like Tennessee's, they're probably going to incorporate a bit of that. Uh, it might be a little new to them because the receivers they have, they haven't had any guys that really stretch the field. Um so they'll, they'll really need to try and focus on incorporating these new guys that actually have run after the catch ability. 
they'll need to kind of open up the playbook for those guys a little bit so that they can show off what they're able to do. Most definitely. And now moving on to your Indianapolis Colts under first-year general manager Chris Ballard. And in my opinion, the Indianapolis Colts had an outstanding draft. And I am personally very hopeful that it looks as good on the field or even better on the field as it does on paper. And it started with them getting great value at 15 overall by selecting Ohio State safety Malik Hooker, who many monsters had going in the top 10 for good reason, because uh, he has ball skills that would that would remind people of a young girl, Thomas Red Reed, as uh, you don't have to ask me about it. Uh, Chuck Pagano um, uh, said what he called him when they made the pick. He said, uh, you're our next Eddie Reed. And, uh, and they, it just shows how high the Colts hopes are for Malik Hooker. But one of the downsides that some scouts had on Malik Hooker was that he just had one year of this kind of production. And uh, is the one-year wonder label on Malik Hooker a red flag for you personally? Uh, I, I think for any prospect, you would like them, them to have more experience. Uh, but I recently did kind of a, a deep dive on, on Malik Hooker and who he is, what he brings to the Colts. And I, I'm really not concerned because he, and especially since in his one year, he was very, very productive. There's been other players just like that who haven't panned out in the NFL at all. So I understand that kind of scaring some people. Uh, but I think what sets him apart and what will make him continue to be a special player, he's got uncanny instincts and uh, he's just got this ability to get to the ball so quickly. And it's like, he knows what's happening. And even if he's late reacting, he's still able to get to the ball and his concentration is really second to none a lot of his interceptions were contested and they were collision interceptions with the receiver, with one of his teammates, and he still caught the ball seamlessly. Um, and, and in terms of actually only playing one year at Ohio State, uh, he was a, a three-year guy, you know, uh, redshirt sophomore. So he redshirted as a freshman, which is fine. Tons of guys do that. Uh, and then as a redshirt freshman, he was behind Tyvis Powell and Von Bell. And both those guys went on to the NFL. So it's not like he was stuck behind scrubs and couldn't earn playing time. He was stuck behind legitimate NFL guys. One of them, I believe, was a second-round pick, and the other was at the Senior Bowl, and they're both on NFL rosters. So it's it's not like he couldn't earn a spot. And the Colts special teams coordinator, Tom McMahon, actually talked about seeing Hooker play special teams two years ago and thought he stood out. So if you take that into account, then he's really had two straight standout years in the role that he played for the Buckeyes. Makes sense. Given all that talent, uh, Urban Meyer acquires uh, every year through recruiting. It's very hard for these guys to uh, see the field on a consistent basis. So, uh, so if uh, Urban Meyer sees something in a guy that it's likely the NFL will pick up on the same thing should the guy play up to uh, his potential. And the Colts weren't done in the secondary yet. In round two, they got excellent value, I believe, by selecting Florida State uh, defensive back Quincy Wilson. And some had Quincy Wilson as a top 15 overall talent in this draft. But some scouts were unsure what his best fit was. Was it uh, cornerback or safety? Do you think Quincy Wilson is a corner or is he a safety? Oh, he's a he's definitely a corner. And he's already confirmed it, as have the Colts. They, they plan on him playing corner for them. Um 
he didn't run as fast as people would like, but he's not the type of guy that needs to run a fast time in order to, to be effective. He's, he's a, to wide receivers, he's probably really annoying defensive back. He stays in their hip pocket constantly. He, he doesn't give them much space to work with at all. Uh, he didn't get thrown at deep a whole lot, but when he did, he was able to a- affect the receiver's concentration enough to break up plenty of passes. So I, I really don't see any concern with his speed making, you know, ruining his transition to being a cornerback. Yeah, and him and Vontae Davis uh, locking down the perimeter and Malik Hooker playing the center field. This Colts secondary could take a dramatic leap this year. And in round three, they added to their long list of pass rushers that they got uh, this offseason in free agency. They did some nice value signings with Jabal Sheard, John Simon, Barkevius Mingo, uh, et al. And they selected in round three, Ohio State edge rusher Terrell Basham, and a football player cannot be more appropriately named, in my opinion. And uh, what do you think is Terrell Basham's long-term role with the Colts? Do you see him just as a situational pass rusher, or do you think long-term can he play the run and drop into coverage as well? Uh, that's actually the funny thing about it. Is the, the Colts really needed a pass rush specialist, just a guy that goes back, and, and that's just what he does is rushes the passer. I see Basham as actually a more well-rounded player who already can play the run and go in coverage. He'll still have to prove himself in coverage because it's not something he did a ton of. But he's not that prototypical just pass-rushing demon that you would have seen out of a guy like Tim Williams from Alabama. Uh, the Colts actually already have a couple players like Basham in uh, Jabal Sheard and John Simon. Uh, he actually compares really closely to Jabal Sheard. He's able to get, you know, pressure on the quarterback, but he also can play the run. So in my opinion, I did really like the pick of Basham. I probably would have taken Derek Rivers with that pick, especially if they were going edge defender anyways. Um, I think they still do need that guy to just be a designated pass rusher. But I think long-term that Basham does have a home there in Indianapolis I think he will be a very good player for him, but I do have a feeling that they'll still be looking for pass rush help uh, in the next couple of years. And that's not a surprise. You can never use a, a, you can never have enough pass rushers in the National Football League. And also, your scouting report on Terrell Basham makes me even makes me feel even better about the Colts draft class. And I had them as one of the highest graded draft classes uh, on paper, uh, at least uh, so far. And uh, now let's move on to the reigning AFC South champion, Houston Texans. And the Houston Texans uh, uh, show that they're a team in win-now mode, given the amazing defense they have, the plethora of weapons they have on offense. They uh, traded their first-round pick in 2018 to move up approximately 13 spots to nab arguably the safest quarterback prospect in this year's class in Clemson's Deshaun Watson. And if you look at their quarterback depth chart, it's uh, aside from Watson, it's just nauseating. You got Tom Savage, who, uh, dare I, I don't mean to be rude, but he's a slouch. He can't play. And Brandon Whedon is an even bigger slouch. So, mm-hmm. I, in my opinion, uh, yes, I understand the argument of not wanting to impede a quarterback's development, but I think we're going to see Deshaun Watson very, very early this year, if not week one. In, in your view, when is the earliest we see Deshaun Watson on the field this season? 
Uh, yeah, I, I would I would agree. If not week one, I think we'll be relatively early on. Uh, for one, if Tom Savage uh, does win the quarterback competition, whenever he's been given the opportunity in his couple years in the league, uh, unfortunately for him, he seems to always get hurt. Uh, the, I think the Texans were full on ready to give him the reins last year over Brock Osweiler. But I, I think it's a concussion that he got, and it put Osweiler back under center. And uh, there was actually a big blow-up about it. There, there was some report that came out. But, um, yeah, Tom Savage always seems to be the guy who gives it away due to injuries, kind of Brian Hoyer-like, you know. Uh, but Deshaun Watson, to me, I think he's a smart player, and he, he's got obvious physical skill. So it may not be too long until he takes over the reins as the starter. Now, that being said, I don't see the Texans as a team that are going to have long stretches of poor performances, especially with Brock Osweiler out of there. I mean, say what you will about Savage, but to me, he's better than, than Osweiler is. So I don't see them having those just terrible anemic stretches on offense like they did last year. So Bill O'Brien may not force himself into starting Deshaun Watson right away. Uh, but if he feels at some point that the offense needs a shot in the arm, he might go ahead and do it if he feels Watson is ready. Could definitely see that happening as well. And the Texans got excellent value in round two in Vanderbilt linebacker Zach Cunningham. And a lot of people around the league thought that Cunningham could go in round one. He was a tackling machine and a, and a freak athlete as well at the combine. And do you think the Texans got a steal with Zach Cunningham in round two? And do you think the selection of Zach Cunningham could signal that this could possibly be the final season for Brian Cushing in Houston? I I think that 57th pick where they got him was pretty appropriate, but I do think it was a a really good pickup for them. Uh, Number one, Bernardrick McKinney is kind of physically limited. He's more of a run stopper than anything else. And he can rush the passer passer. Uh, but he's not got very great movement skills. And like you said, one of my immediate thoughts with it was, you know, Cunningham being the eventual replacement for Brian Cushing. Um, he's been a little bit healthier in in the last couple of years, I, although I think he had a stretch where he missed some games. Uh, but he hasn't been totally injury-plagued and missing seasons like he used to. But he is also getting up there in age. Um, he's definitely not getting any younger. So uh, I think that is probably the plan is for Cunningham to be the eventual replacement uh, for Cushing and the running mate for Bernard McKinney inside. Yeah, especially as you alluded to, Cunningham uh, compliments uh, McKinney in that his play style is almost the opposite. McKinney is that like a two-down thumper and blitzer, and Cunningham is your uh, – Brandon Marshall type linebacker. I'm referring to the linebacker for the Broncos, Brandon Marshall, not the Giants receiver for the record, folks. Uh, Cunningham could be uh, the uh, Brandon Marshall to um, uh, Bernard McKinney's uh, with the current Broncos defense. It's uh, Todd Davis, uh, but uh, I but he's a much better version of Todd Davis, arguably. So, uh, yeah, you got the picture. And in round three, the Texans stayed in state by going uh, westward to Austin to take Texas running back Deontay Foreman. And this pick was kind of controversial in the eyes of some. Uh, Like I was listening to a podcast uh, on footballguys.com, the Audible 
uh, with uh, Cecil Lammy and Sigmund Bloom as they were recapping the AFC South draft classes. And uh, they believe that Foreman, despite him being 233 pounds, he doesn't play up to his size that much. And he also, um, uh, uh, per um, uh, the Houston Chronicle, reported to OTAs overweight. And do you think he can be an immediate upgrade over Alfred Blue? And the Texans, I think, obviously need somebody who can become that full-time number two back to form that one-two punch uh, with Lamar Miller that will be needed to take pressure off of whoever uh, starts the year in the center. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I think you hit it there as more of a replacement for Alfred Blue than Lamar Miller. I think he'll be more of a complimentary guy to Miller, and it could signal the end for Alfred Blue. He he's it's oddly enough he's had better showings when he's had to start than when he's had to compliment Miller at all. So I think it's probably time to get someone new in there. And uh, while Foreman doesn't always play to his size, I used to say that about Derrick Henry when he was coming out. You know, that one reason I didn't like him very much was he was enormous, but he he didn't play very enormous. But now that he's with Tennessee, he seems to be a more physical back. So while he maybe didn't show as much physicality as you would have liked at Texas, that's not to say his development's over. Um, I'm sure whoever the running back coach with the Texans is, is probably nailing in his head, you know, lower your shoulder. You got a lot of weight behind you. Why don't you punish some guys? So I'm I'm sure that's something they'll work on with him. Uh, As for him reporting out of your overweight or out of shape, whichever, um, I read a quote from Bill O'Brien. I honestly don't know if it was sarcastic at, at all, but he said he's not even surprised because these guys have spent all this time with the, these specialized training regimens going for combine and pro day drills that they're not actually in football shape. So let's take that for what you will. I, I don't know if he was being sarcastic or what, but they might be throwing him a bone there. I actually um, agree with you that uh, th- that probably wasn't uh, as sarcastic as some people perceived it to be uh, because, yeah, these players are definitely um, going from interview to interview without um, enough time to get into their required workout regimen. And he is Jake Arthur, ladies and gentlemen, of ProFootballSpot.com. You can follow him on Twitter at JakeArthurPFS. And we thank you for coming on the program once again, Jake. But before we go, we could I'll conclude this uh, edition of Sports Crunch with Crom, our draft recap series with a little lightning round where I ask you three um, final questions. Among all, right. all four of these teams combined, who was the absolute best pick and the absolute worst pick? Uh, I'm going to have to, not to be a homer, but I'm going to have to say the Colts having Malik Hooker land in their lap at 15 uh, was a real solid pick. And then they, they struck again and got... Quincy Wilson, who is a lot of people's top corner, to follow them in the middle of the second round. So it's hard for me to go against those two pickups. Uh, the worst pick, uh, I would have to say, I, I really don't like that the Jaguars took Dwayne Smoot in the third round. I don't think it's terrible, but the division as a whole did really, really well in the draft. Uh, so Dwayne Smoot there in the third round when they've kind of already got a really deep defensive line. That's something they probably could have waited on. And a lot of people didn't have him ranked until maybe the fourth or fifth round. And as they say, days one and two 
of the NFL draft are about the sizzle, but day three is about the steak. And day three is arguably the day that separates playoff teams from non-playoff teams, especially given the fact that last year in 2016, two-thirds of all NFL players that took the field were drafted on day three or undrafted. And who was your favorite day pick on day three for each team and why? All right, so we'll start with the Texans. I'd have to say my favorite day three pick for them was uh, offensive tackle Julian Davenport in the fourth round. Uh, that's a team that really needs offensive line help. They're always dealing with injuries, especially to their tackles. Uh, Derek Newton's out for the year again. Chris Clark is, you know, he's someone who can be upgraded over. And then um, Dwayne Brown, he's had some tough times with injuries as well. So if they can get Julian Davenport to contribute, you know, maybe early on or by midway through year one or year two, I think they've got a good pick there for them. Uh, for the Colts, really tough here because I, I liked their whole draft, but I'm going to have to say my favorite day three pick was Marlon Mack. Uh, he was arguably the best running back available on the board. And I just think his situation and theirs fits very well together because uh, I I can't say that I think he is immediately ready to take on a huge role with any team just because of the system he came from at South Florida. Uh, it was very gimmicky and just not NFL related at all. But now he gets to learn behind Frank Gore for an entire year. Uh, Gore is probably going to be the fifth all-time leading rusher by the end of the year. So uh, he Mac gets an entire year to learn from one of the NFL's greats and then might be able to take the reins as a really explosive starting running back in 2018. So I think to get that in the fourth round was really good. Uh, Jacksonville, uh, easily for me, their best day three pick was Blair Brown out of Ohio, the linebacker. Uh, he's, he's got a really well-rounded game. He can play the run and in the pass, he can drop into coverage. And if he can start within his first year or two, then I think the starting linebacker trio of Blair Brown, Miles Jack and Telvin Smith is a really attractive group. I think you can't go wrong there. Uh, let's see. And then the Titans, uh, their best day three pick. Uh, I'm going to give that one to seventh round pick Josh Carraway, uh, who is an edge defender out of TCU. He's kind of just an athlete playing a, a position right now. He, he's not he's not a mechanic yet at all, uh, but he's got really great measurables and size for the position. Needs to add some weight, um, but you know, Derek Morgan. And uh, Brian Arakpo aren't ready to hang him up yet. And the Titans aren't done with them yet either. So there's plenty of time for Caraway to develop behind those two. And he can pop in and be a situational pass rusher, especially if uh, they, they got a, a kid in the second round last year. I want to say Dodds. I'm having trouble remembering his first name. Kevin Dodd. Yeah, Kevin Dodd. Uh, he's, he's had some issues staying on the field. If he doesn't pan out, Possibly Caraway can and, and can contribute more in a situational pass rusher role in his first couple of years. So I really like that pick as well. And uh, you, you mentioned Telvin Smith, and I can't believe I missed on him when I was talking about the Jaguars defense earlier in the program. And that illustrates just how deep the Jacksonville defense is and uh, why they'll be a unit to watch uh, 
this season. And Jake, thank you once again for donating your time and your talents to our program yet again. And before you go, just one final prediction. In three to four years, which is the most appropriate time to grade a draft class, folks, ignore the grades for now. It all depends on what happens on the field these next three to four years. So when all is said and done these next three to four years, which of these four draft classes will be the best on paper? I mean, in practice, dare I say, in practice. Okay. Uh, I'm going to have to give that one of the Colts. Um, I, I think they got the best value out of a lot of their draft picks. They got the most ups, guys with the most upside out of them. Uh, it may not have been the safest draft class, uh, but I do think their draft class has the most upside. And if you fast forward three to four years from now, if a lot of these guys even scratch their potential, then there could be Pro Bowls you know, involved in a, in a few of these picks. I completely agree. Thank you very much, Jake Arthur. And that's all for today here on Sports Crush with D. Crom. But we plan to be back tomorrow with a new guest, Nick Kendall, to break down the draft classes of the AFC West. So stay tuned. Also, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as an up-to-date blog of mine at sportscrunch.com. Once again, that is Crunch with a K. For Jake Arthur, our producer, Chris Broadhead, man at the box, I'm David Cromlow saying so long and stay awesome. (laughs) 